podcast. We are really excited today. We have a special bonus episode for you today. We have an interview with composer Michael McLean today. We're talking about the new uh, theatrical version of The Forgotten Carols that is out in theaters right now. And I'm film director Rachel Wagner and Cammie's here. Hi, everybody. I'm excited and, for this one. Yes. And Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. It's uh here in beautiful Heber City, it's sunshiny and beautiful. Oh, yeah, good. so we're so glad. So for people that are new to you and your work, why don't you introduce yourself to our podcast and, uh, and tell us a little bit of how you ended up uh, coming to write The Forgotten Carols. Um, okay, I'll try to... I. Just stop me if I just talk too much. You know, okay. just <laughs> we, we, we get it already. We get it already. What happened was back in 1991, 29 years ago, I, um, I was having some, some success as a, a songwriter. Uh, Desert Book was releasing a bunch of my albums and they were doing really well. And I had also was a filmmaker. I made a movie with Jimmy Stewart called Mr. Kruger's Christmas that I created and produced and then Nora's Christmas gift and a number of other commercials for the church. And so um, I, so I had been a storyteller and, and, and done a number of things. And the folks at Ezra book said, you know, you should do a Christmas album. And I said, why? <laughs> I said, <laughs> the greatest music's already been done. I mean, nope, I'm a songwriter. And gosh, who's ever going to write anything better than Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire or Silent <laughs> Night or the Handel's Messiah? Nobody's going to outdo that. And part of what I love about Christmas personally was that sense of the familiar. It was so traditional. Well, uh, Mannheim Steamroller had put out their great, great uh, Christmas album. And my buddy Kurt Bester had been very successful with his Eras Christmas arrangements. And they said, well, Kurt's doing a great job and you, you should do this. People really like your albums. And I said, I know, but I'm not a brilliant arranger like those guys. And if that was my gift of doing, some, uh, you know, interpretations of somebody else's songs that would be fine but that's kind of not what i bring to the party and i don't i don't i don't i just can't manufacture something so i let it go and it actually was for a couple of years and i just they asked and i said i just don't see it happening and then in 1990 i was at my piano on about what what's the date today the 10th it was about the 5th of December 1990 and I was just playing along and noodling and um, I heard myself sing this little melody that was just coming to my heart and I sang I am a man forgotten no one recalls my name and thousands of years will fail to fully erase my shame but I turned to profit nicely that day that I turned a couple away and and as I was doing it I thought wow, I've never heard that song before. I've never heard the story of Christmas through the eyes of someone that's kind of forgotten. I mean, I, I, it wasn't on my radar to think about what is the innkeeper that turned away Joseph and Mary, what did he take from this experience? But as the song started to evolve, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm him. I'm not, I'm not a bad guy. I'm just too busy. And really remarkable opportunities may come my way. And like the innkeeper who turned them away 2,000 years ago, maybe I should learn to let him in. And so I finished the song and I caught 
got kind of animated. I thought, oh my gosh, maybe I do have something to say about Christmas. And, and that led to thinking of other characters in the Christmas story that we don't traditionally think of as mainstream characters. But what if, what if each one of them had a different perspective that we could relate to? And um, so I started writing some of the songs. And as I was midway through doing some of the songs, I thought, but where, where do you put this? I mean, if you go to see the Christmas Carol every year, and that's your tradition, there's a, a place for it. But just putting on an album with brand new songs that nobody's ever heard of, I think these songs need a context. So I started kicking around the idea of what if, what if there was a story in which people could find out where these songs came from? And what if in the evolution of that story, um, people could have their own Christmas tradition? Uh, let's read this story a few nights before Christmas and either sing the songs when they came into the story or um, play the cassette or CD at, 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 the, at that point that I was doing this. You can have all your fans Google up cassettes and CDs and <laughs> find, out how the, find out how all of those work. So anyway, so um, I, I, uh, in the spring of 1991, I uh, had a very intense week or two, and I um, quickly wrote a draft of this book that became The Forgotten Carols, which was basically a story, a Christmas story with songs. And then when we talked about, well, how's anybody going to become aware of this? How are they going to know about this? How are we going to promote it? Um, because I was not known at that time. I'd made a lot of films, and I'd made a lot of records, but I hadn't, um, I hadn't been known as an author. So I thought, well, why don't I just do, cause I was 39 at the time. And, uh, when Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas Carol, he was 39 and what he did, and I'm not comparing myself to him at all. Don't get th that mistake. But, but I thought he just went out on the road and he did what he called an author's reading of his story. And he had bridged it and, it and he played all the characters and told the story. And so I thought, well, why don't I, why don't I do what Dickens did? Why, if it worked for him. <laughs> and, and the funny part was is somebody said, well, why would anyone come see you do this? And I said, that's a kind of a good point. How are you going to get, to be gross, how are you going to get butts in the seats to come see this when nobody thinks of you as a actor and mm -hmm. um and then i was thinking about that i thought you know that's right um and then heavens the heavens opened there was a there was a parting in the heavens <laughs> and a voice said <laughs> a voice said michael get choirs they have relatives <laughs> yes they do <laughs> and, and i realized oh my gosh if if i'd go to each of these different 30 cities i was planning to go to and um, if I got the choirs to learn the backup choir parts and they were on stage, they probably each have four or five relatives that would pay a few bucks to come see them. And then if I get enough people on stage, maybe I can fill the theater enough to cover the cost. So that Brilliant. was my great inspiration. That was my great inspiration. And so in the beginning, the first year, 1991 Christmas, I did 33 or 34 shows uh, and I, I wasn't making any money. I just, I just did it to cover the cost to introduce this to people. And um, 
And that, and I thought that would be it. All right. I promoted it. People kind of got the idea and now they can do this themselves. And because I have, um, and I have battled uh, depression for 50 years um, because that's been always a challenge for me. Um, I thought, well, I'm awful at this. My, my default position is it, it's probably not completely true, but it feels true when you're depressed that, you know, you just, you, you shouldn't be up there. The fraud police are going to yank you off the stage and say, you're an idiot. Don't do this. But I really was passionate about getting this story out there. So I did it. And then at the end of the season, what I was not prepared for ladies was um, people said, no, we want to come see the guy that wrote that story. Tell it. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> You'd spend like real, you know, dollars to come mm-hmm. and watch me do this because I'm not good at it. Because, so, you know, I had I have oh, made this movie with Jimmy Stewart called Mr. Kruger's yeah. Christmas and Nora's Christmas Gift. So, so I knew what it was like to tell a story with a great actor. And I knew I wasn't that guy. So <laughs> I was really shocked that people wanted to come see me do it. But it became over the next few years, a little bit of a tradition. I just go from city to city and get these choirs to help out. And I'd get up on stage with a whole bunch of costumes on a costume rack. And I played all the parts Mm -hmm. and that became a tradition. And then the tradition evolved over the next 29 years. And then my son, Scott helped me, uh, recraft it so instead of it being a one-man show with lots of improvisations and lots of fun stuff in that presentation did it like it was a a play like a musical and so um then it evolved and evolved and became you know millions of people would spend real money to come see us do this and i would expand the cast and then it became like really a touring broadway musical you take out a semi and you know go from town to town and then uh, when it became clear, oh, 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 this is important. So after all these, every year I'd make little tweaks to the story, try to make it a little better, a little funnier, a little clearer. Well, a couple of years ago, we thought we could maybe fund this as a movie with real movie stars. And my son Scott was working on this fantastic screenplay where all the things we'd talked about for so many years, if we could do this as a movie, not be limited by what was on the stage and how we could tour it. What would we do? And he wrote this great adaptation, stage to screen adaptation. And it so blew me away that I said, well, why don't, if we can't get the money to do this, why don't we figure out a way to put what you wrote for the movie screen as close as we could on to a theater piece. And we did it last Christmas. And it was so, I mean, and it was a little dangerous because when you mess with people's Christmas traditions, you know, you, you can upset a lot of people. Why? How dare you change that? I like that story. And yet I really felt, oh, gosh, I felt like I was supposed to do it. And, um, and uh, we put, did, put everything together and did all these sets. And the response was so fantastic that we planned at the first of this year before the COVID pandemic we planned to like almost double the number of places we would go because i i thought you know by within the next year or two i may be too old to to pull this off so let's get to as many people as we can because i think this version is the version that what is the way i was always supposed to tell this story 
And then COVID, COVID hit, and it became clear that we weren't going to be able to, to do a tour. And because I was so vulnerable to this disease, um, I knew I, I, I couldn't risk it. And I didn't want to make anybody sick or whatever. So I was just so disappointed. I thought, oh, no, the people who have made this a tradition they're like my family now. I mean, they, they come every year and this is what they do and they share it with new people each year. And then in, uh, I think it was March, March or April, um, Disney plus released Hamilton as a, is on their, you know, the musical Hamilton. And it was basically, it, you know, for, you've seen it. It's a play that they filmed. And I thought, well, Ooh, I wonder if we could, even dare to try to pull that off. And then from that March or April, we started planning, how could we possibly do this? How could we adapt the script for a filming of it as a play and then think about how we could release it? And my thought was, since a lot of people would not be able to, to obviously come to a live show that we could tour, maybe we could just do it with DVDs or do it with just streaming. And then when we, we finished filming it in September, um, then my good friend, uh, Brandon Purdy, who's a really terrific film presenter and um, uh, distributor, said, Michael, there's a, a real demand for people who do want to go to the movie, socially distanced. And, and we showed it, and Gail Miller, who runs the Megaplexes and everything else, was so gracious and was so moved by it and said, let's do this. So then it went in starting on the 20th of November into movie theaters, I think 67 or 68 movie theaters around the country. And people were really being moved by it and resonated. And then um, the last week or so, we started making it available as a DVD and as a, um, a thing on Living Scriptures, the streaming service. And so if you go to ForgottenCarols.com, you can see all the different ways that you can experience this film adaptation of a stage show. So the the uh, production is uh, is is non denominational. Anybody can any Christian can enjoy it. Was that something that was important to you, or just kind of the natural? Uh, that's how it naturally evolved. Oh, uh, let me see if I can interpret your question. You mean? Uh, was it an accident that this isn't a Mormony thing? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Putting it in plain terms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. For those in your audience who used to call themselves Mormons, um, no. Here's the thing: the Forgotten Carols was never designed to be uh, a denominational experience. So, you know, I grew up in. Chicago, and then I graduated from high school just outside of New York City, and I was only the only member of my faith, um, except for maybe one other in my high schools. And so um, I, I never thought in terms of writing for the LDS audience specifically. I just thought, I'm just going to share what's in my heart and that I'm passionate about. It wasn't that I was embarrassed or ashamed to be a member of the church, and, and of course, I've made a lot of movies um, for the church, and and Deseret Book is owned by the church in that way. But I wanted the message to reach everybody. And, you know, it's interesting. The problem with Christmas specials and Christmas stories is they're all lovely, but they're not about Jesus. 
Yeah. You know, these are lovely. You should be kind. You should yeah. be thoughtful. You should be compassionate. We should. And if you ever watch the Hallmark, I mean, that's the same plot over and over and over again. And it isn't that it's awful. It's just that I thought there's something so profound and so powerful about this story that maybe we should do a Christmas story that's actually unashamedly, unapologetically about Jesus. But then you get into that issue of people saying, well, which Jesus? Is that, is that the Mormon Jesus? Is that the Catholic Jesus? Is that the Baptist Jesus? What's the real Jesus like? And interestingly enough, um, when we were expanding this, uh, and we did some tours with my friend Michael Young down in the Bible Belt, and um, and those people that we were talking to about uh, helping us promote the Forgotten Carols, they wanted to meet the guy that wrote it because they couldn't believe that I was a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They said, you, 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 you sound like one of us. You know, we read your story and we think we feel Jesus in this. How could that possibly be? And I said, maybe because Jesus is bigger than all the churches put together. Maybe it's well, about him. Yeah, I and, think they're... Um, so, there is a pageantry and a uh and, and a theatrical nature to the songs that to me feel very pentecostal in their 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 expression to me it reminds me of some of the uh some of the um uh the worship services that i've been to from other faiths the the this the singing and uh, i i think that it is something that will appeal to a wide range of Christian audiences, which I appreciate. Yeah. And, and I've been, I've been so grateful for, I mean, we have members of the cast that are secular Israeli Jews. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. And, you know, Gil, Gilly Getz, who plays Dr. Halifax, who's um, one of my best friends in the world. I, I said, is this, is this awkward for you at all doing this play? Uh, that's so strongly about Jesus and you're Jewish. And he said, you know, Michael, the power of this story and its message is not limited. So whether you call him Jesus or I call him the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it's, we're trying to get at a truth that will help us all be more understanding, more forgiving, more loving, and less afraid. And, um, and he was wonderful about his support of us. And because he's Jewish, we'd uh, celebrate Hanukkah with him when we were on the road. And when he would, when, when he would take his turn during the green room, because we always had a prayer before we started, one of the most, my favorite memories of, of touring with him was when he gave us the Hebrew prayer that prepared us for that day. And when we lit the Hanukkah camp and started to understand and appreciate the universality, one of the things that I think has been great watching the evolution of the story of Connie Lou and of uh, and this old guy who claims that he's John the Beloved, and she's rolling her eyes, thinking this guy's just a nut job, and and uh, how how could he believe this? And then why do the things that he's telling me, why do they speak to my heart? And if you've come to the Forgotten Carols or become aware of all those different songs, some of them are like lullabies. Some of them are like acapella uh, street singer songs. Some of them 
have a have a bit of a you know praise music kind of thing and some of them quote the sound and the feel of Handel's Messiah so all of the pastiche that kind of captures what Christmas is for so many people I wanted that to seem familiar in the story so that people wouldn't say oh if if it doesn't sound like the tabernacle choir that's not real Christmas or Mm -hmm. if it doesn't sound it I didn't want it to feel limited by what it could be. And for those who get to see the movie or the DVD or whatever, I am so thrilled with the way the arrangements and the performances and the presentation of these songs unfolded. I think it tells the story better than, than I've ever been able to tell it. And, um, and I've been really grateful for the folks who have, uh, you know, every day I get uh, emails and texts of, hey, we just came out of a theater and we had this amazing experience and we want to thank you for making it uh, possible during these COVID times. Hi, everybody. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsors for this episode of the podcast. They're the good folks over at Care Of. And Care Of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. What they do is they have high quality products that meet personalization. If you go onto their website, takecareof.com, you can take their online quiz. And this quiz is a five-minute quiz that asks you questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health concerns to help you address your specific wellness goals. It only takes a few seconds. And when I took the quiz, we're able to narrow it down to my sleep needs being my highest point of concern. And we're able to get the vitamin plan that I needed for that concern. Care of's holistic online quiz is like getting a one-on-one consultation with a nutritionist all without leaving your home. They have products that are formulated with good for you, clean ingredients that are backed by science. Care of is super transparent about the research and sourcing behind each one of their products. And you get recommendations come in daily individualized wrapped packets that are perfect for getting back into routine. And I think if you were looking for a stocking stuffer or a gift for a athlete or uh, anybody really in your life, I think that a subscription to care of is a perfect choice. Right now, the seasons are changing. It's important to get ahead of taking care of your immune health. It takes about 30 days for your body to adapt to new nutrients. So now is a great time to update your vitamin and wellness routines to help support your immune system this fall. Care products go beyond vitamins and supplements to include protein powders and boosts to help supplement your workouts as you move indoors in these colder months. So check out Care of. I think you'll really enjoy the products and it can be perfect for anybody in your life. You're looking for a unique, thoughtful gift. Check out Care of for 50% off your first Care of order. Go to takecareof.com, enter code Hallmarkies50. That's 50% off your first Care of order. Go to takecareof.com, enter code Hallmarkies50. It was incredible. And I've been listening to this story the audio version on said cassette tape. I probably wore mine out as we listened, my family and I, we would listen to it every year. 
and uh, since I was a little girl. And so I was very familiar with this story. So in 2001, when a guy I was going to college with said, hey, do you want to go see a live show of Forgotten Carols with Michael McLean? I went, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was very happy to go and pay real money to go into a theater. And then I saw this, I saw this production and it was, it was fantastic. I was sobbing all over again. It was very moving. And the tweaks that the tweaks that you did make to the plot just made it all the more majestic. Oh, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. So do you have a favorite song of all the songs? Oh, I'm so curious about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, well, let me put it this way. Do you have children? I do. Cammie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You have, and how many kids? One, two, one. I have, I have four. I have two girls and two okay. boys. Okay. Now, which one of those is your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> um, it depends on the time of day. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> And so when you say, which of your children that are your songs is your favorite? Well, it kind of depends on the day. And, right. and, interest, and interestingly enough, um, there are little things over the years. I had a, um, a nine-year-long faith crisis uh, from 19 or from 2005 until um, or 2006 until 2015, 16. And um, during that period, one of the things that really was a gift to me that kept me holding, keep holding on when I just started thinking, have I got this all wrong? Did I, mis did I misread this? Why can't I get answers to my prayers? Why do I feel like heaven kind of shut on me? And I, uh, you know, and we all want to blackmail God. Like, don't you know all the good I've done for you? Can't you just see this? Why don't you just answer my prayers when I want them answered and get with the program and quit abandoning me? And in the midst of that process, I found that um, I, uh, every, every night that I would sing these songs, I would learn something different from the song than when I wrote it. Mm. And I thought that was wow. really, in, really interesting. So, so I really do love your question about which is your favorite, because when I would have a particular struggle and I'd be on stage performing the song and something about it would go, Oh, this is about that, Michael. It isn't, you thought it was all about this other thing. No, 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 no. I want you to focus on this. I want to teach you this. And I'm a great believer that as a songwriter, sometimes a song teaches me the truth the only way my heart can hear it. And that's the gift of, of being a, a songwriter. That's how I figure things out. And so each one of these songs has completely in, uh, expanded meaning to me. So that, for example, um, the I was not his father, he was mine song. The way we do it in the, in the film, the way it has evolved is really, in my view, it's perfect. But this whole idea of, of, of a song from a guy who's feeling inadequate as a parent 
Mm-hmm. And then thinking, my heavens, what, how did Joseph feel? Guy's asked to raise the son of God. He knows that the child is not his biological child, but he has this responsibility. And anybody who's been a parent or an uncle or a, a caregiver or a whatever has moments of impatience and, and, oh, leave me alone or do what I tell you. or And you think, well, what's that like if you're Joseph? And here you're yelling at Jesus, get my down. And, and when I wrote that song, that moment in the song where uh, the, it goes, then he spoke of the misgivings the, that he had had a thousand times and how Jesus found the tender moments to let him know he'd done just fine. And I remember that moment of... Um, of reassurance and of encouragement and of support that, that I got from that song that the same sweet Jesus that would put his arm around Joseph and say, you're doing great. You're just doing great. That he would put his arm around me in all my inadequacies and all my failings and try to heal me. And you know, the, the ending of the, movie the way we have connie lou finally get an answer to the first time she says a prayer in 20 years after being unable to pray because every time she prayed before then something bad happened and she just couldn't turn to it when she gets that answer to her prayers and hears herself saying to her own heart what she had said to so many others about don't be so scared that this thing just floods over me in the realization that, um, and it's interesting, there's a a new song that we added to this um, stage to screen adaptation that Connie Lou reprises at the end and where she sings, um, he who came to claim us for all eternity has not forgotten those who need his healing charity. And though the number is greater than the sands upon the sea, there is no time of year that he's forgotten you or me. <laughs> that and was when beautiful. We were, thank you. It, it, it just, it really was perfect. Uh, it felt that way to me. But I rewrote the lyric to that melody while we were down in Cedar City filming the, the movie. Oh, my and, goodness. Um, and and it used to be when I, when I was thinking about John the Beloved explaining to Constance with a song, "What's your mission? You know, why are you doing this?" Mm-hmm. And he sings that that song that gets re- reprised at the end. And originally, my line went uh, for that section of the song: "He who came to save us for all eternity has not forgotten those who need His mercy to be free." And though the number's greater, and it was lovely. And yet I felt almost just compelled to change it as I was singing it to he who claim to he who came to claim us for all eternity has not forgotten those who need his healing charity. And I thought about 
so much of, of, of singing about Jesus is about he is our Savior and he's come to save us. But for most of us, what we need most desperately is to be healed, to heal our awful woundedness, to, to, to figure out a way where the mess of our lives has become so heartbreaking to us that we're not, we're not these enemies that need to be saved. We are people who need to be healed. We, we need to feel that. And I wanted, with all the different kind of emphases that we can give to Jesus, for me, at this time in my spiritual journey, to be able to bear testimony through the film, that he's come, he's come to claim us. He's come to heal us. He's come to make us whole and to, and to end our awful woundedness. And I, I look around at all the people that I adore who have been wounded and many people who can't, who can't believe in Jesus and think that he's just shaking his finger in disappointment that, well, why don't you get with the program? Why don't you believe me? Well, could it be that he's saying, oh, quit worrying about that. Quit worrying about it. Let me take care of that. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Let me carry you. Let me get you through this. Let me help you discover just how magnificent you are. Oh, my gosh. And, and so I get very emotional when I talk about it because I think artists do things because they need to learn them. I think they, you know, it's, I don't have an agenda like, this is what I think everybody else in the world should get from the Forgotten Carols. I just feel like I need to share with you my discovery. And because you were familiar with the story before this film adaptation, the Uncle John character, the John the Beloved guy, mm-hmm. it was a, had, had a, he had kind of a, he had a different perspective on how he was going to help Connie Lou before this whole idea emerged of what if, what if John's worried about falling apart? What if he's got a little dementia and he, and he thinks it must be evidence that Jesus is coming soon. Cause he said, I'd live till he comes and I'm a wreck. I'm falling apart. I can't remember stuff. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, and you know, I lost my dad to, to Alzheimer's. And so oh. um, while I was, while I was playing that part and there would be moments where he would be so um, coherent, but then there are other moments when he'd just look at me and say, I'm, what's your name? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know your name. I, I, I think I like you, but I, <laughs> I don't know your name. And, 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 and there's a sweetness about a guy who's, who basically says the effects of age are getting to me. But the one thing that never is lost is who came to heal him and that his love for Jesus, that the depth of that and his desire to help people not forget him is why he has a mission. And I, I just loved being able to play that guy. Well, and it's such, it's been such a lonely, hard year for pretty much everybody. And you, I, I, feel like the message of the forgotten carols because it's all about forgotten people that are lonely right um that and how they came to find meaning in christ and i feel like that has a special resonance 
this year and for this to be released this year has a special power was, was that something you thought about a lot oh yeah oh yeah because because it would have the fact that this happened that we're having this conversation that you've seen it on the big screen and that it's now available the miracle of this happening is the number of miracles that had to have happened for this to take place makes me feel that not so much like I'm so important or the, or the story is so important, but that the people who need what this can offer them, that, that there's, a, there's heavenly forces that want to send this to reassure and to bless and to comfort those who need this particular, it's not like this is the only thing that's really great at Christmas or this is the only, but this year more than ever, this thing I've been working on for 29 years, it, it it's more needed now in my lifetime than any other time. And, um, and, and I, and I feel, I don't want to sound pretentious or like, oh, you know, this is Heavenly Father's top priority is make sure my movie gets out there and people like it. I think that the, that the feeling, the feeling that I have is he, you know, I, I needed to be willing to make the sacrifices to mortgage our farm again so that we could uh, get this out there, not as a, a, a financial career move, but as a gift. And so I, I, I have a great tenderness about this, that, that this was, this was what's, this is something that I could do. There's so many things I can't do. I'm such a mess in so many ways, but this was something I could do to, to share with people as my Christmas gift. And so I am grateful that has been, that so far it has been received that way. And I'm also grateful that it's now in a form where it's not limited to the number of cities we could afford to go to but anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, they can stream it or send a video DVD of it or see it in a movie theater if it's close to them. Well, we well, are grateful what too. A, what a gift. It, yes. it certainly was a gift. I, I am curious about one thing, Michael, how did the tradition of ending the show with Together Forever, how did that start? Because I, I remember when I saw it in 01, it was such a beautiful way to end. It was a tiny bit awkward because the guy who took me to the show really wanted to date me seriously and I didn't. So so singing, so singing that linked arm in arm was a little bit awkward, but regardless, it was a beautiful sentiment and it just brought such a such a, a spirit and a mood. How did that begin? You know, it, it, it's interesting when um, when we were initially telling the story and, and it was over, uh, I would sit at the piano and uh, because that's what I've been doing as a songwriter and a performer. I'd sit at this, you know, be uh, Billy Joel at the piano telling stories and singing songs. And as it came to the ending of it, initially, uh when I, <laughs> I had a joke that was just I used for oh, 25 years of, um, of saying, you know, now I know that this is a little awkward for those of you who have been um, who have come tonight and have been planning since intermission to um, to make a little speech to their date. And the speech is um, 
you know, you really, really deserve somebody who likes your type. <laughs> and it ain't me, babe. And now you've been planning that speech all intermission. Now I've got you holding his hand singing, we can be together forever someday. And people would laugh and laugh and laugh. And, um, and I wanted it to kind of break the ice and get everybody off the hook. But then the thing that I found was that the ultimate message of Christmas is that because he came, the relationships that matter the most to us don't have to end. I mean, that, that is the good news. You fall in love with somebody, your kids, your friends, your, your dearest associates, your husband, your wife, your grandma, your grandpa, all the people in your family that make life precious and worth living. The gift is because Jesus came and what he did, we can be together forever someday. And, and, I, and I, I used to laugh when we'd have difficult times in our family we would sing, um, uh, we can be together, whatever today, you know, um, uh, and, and, and we'd try to kind of remind ourselves of that possibility. And then it just became a sweeter thing. And then when I, um, Lynn and I lost, we took care of both sets of our parents for a long time in our, in our house. And, um, and then when they, when they passed away and you think about them, and you sing to someone on the other side, as uh, on the other side of the veil that can be very thin. And there's a kind of a, a connection that is just so special. And, and then ending the play, not with people on their feet cheering and screaming and shouting, hooray, 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 wasn't that great. But to end it with people sweetly picturing however they picture Jesus, not limited to uh, a predetermined, oh, he looks like this, or he sounds like this, or he talks like this, to be able to end that and then sing The Silent Night, it became to me a, a kind of a reminder for myself of why I do this. It isn't, it isn't to say, oh, you know, how, how, um, how big of a of a fan base can I build for myself? It's uh, how many people want to share this with someone that may not be comfortable making it uh, something they can talk about or sing about or feel because it's, it's awkward for them because, oh my gosh, I can't do this with my Baptist buddies because they see Jesus different than me. No, what happens is we all become better whatevers. You know, my friends who are Baptists that love this show, I have a friend in uh, Atlanta who's an ordained Baptist minister who created a Bible study based on the Forgotten Carol so that his congregation could prepare for going to see the production of it when it came to his town oh my and see all the spiritual, it is so, it's such a joy to me. And then at the end of the piece, people from eight different religions just basically said, this is a, this is something we, we can all agree on the core of what this is saying about the savior. And it's not limited to, because some people wouldn't come because I, I was raised as a Mormon. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, we can't go see him because it's a cult. And, and then to have them get past that and realize 
um, you know, let, let's celebrate the excellence of Christianity and not its superiority over your version of it or mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't work for me anyway. Yeah. Well, we think that is great. And we are so grateful that you came and talked with us and made the film and, and made the play and made the album and the whole Forgotten Carols incredible. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. We really appreciate it. And we hope you have a super Merry Christmas. Yes, I will. And I want you to know that you have um, lifted my spirits and um, oh, I just, I, 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 as I fight my, my illness, I, I think oh, I feel better. You've made me feel better. So oh. thank you, ladies. It was great. We're so glad. So glad. So glad. <laughs> because <laughs> if, if there's anything we can do more to lift it up, just say the word, because <laughs> this kind of thing, it lifted us more than you know. I personally, tomorrow will be the nine-year anniversary of me losing my father and and watching watching the entire show with Constance losing her father and the end of the show, I, I was sobbing my eyes out in a good way. It was it was so beautiful and it touched me to the core. So thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And continue on in lifting people's hearts with your podcasts and your encouragement and support. It means the world to me. So thank you. Thanks. Well, I hope you and all of your family have a very Merry Christmas. Yes, please. You have too. one. <laughs> well, okay, thanks. Okay, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So we hope you enjoyed this chance that we got to talk to Michael McLean. That was really, really great. And uh, you can find out more. We'll put in the description section uh, at their website, Forgotten Carols. You can find out about more about the whether you see it in the theaters safely or you want to get it on DVD or uh, however else you want to view it. Uh, the music is also out there. And uh, it's just a really uh, lovely uh holiday presentation for those of any faith and we're actually going to do a more detailed sort of recap i guess of the forgotten carols uh we're going to record that tomorrow with carrie our good friend uh, and so that's going to be a great discussion i'm really looking forward to it mm-hmm. and uh, so let us know your thoughts if you're listening what you think about all the different things that we talked about it was really really great and uh, cammy where can people find you uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Cami Drama Girl. You can fa- find me on Facebook with the Hooked Hardy Facebook page. And my blog is hookedhardy.com. And you can also find me on Deliver Me a Podcast and Hardy's Hotline. Shameless yes. plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and uh, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. And make sure you're following the podcast at Homeworkies Pod and Homeworkies Podcast all over social media. And if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us your ratings and reviews. We really appreciate that. And if you are listening on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have our patron group, which we have, we have watch alongs and other kinds of perks. So it's definitely worth your time. We just had a watch along. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And we have our merch store, which has tons of fun festive designs. So please check that out. And thanks again to Michael. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Merry Christmas.
Merry Christmas, everybody. Bye.